Hello and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. I am NFL editor Ryan Van Biver, and with me today, Danny Kelly, Stephen White, and the one and only PFT commenter. How are y'all doing today, guys? Doing well. Doing awesome. I'm doing okay. Just okay? <laughs> what, what's the matter? I mean, you know, I, when am I ever at 100%? But I'm doing, I'm good as good as I can hope for right now. Mm, well, you know, first in, last out. I've been playing Hurt for like the last 16 years of my life, so I'm used to it. <laughs> we got to push through it. That's right. <laughs> Self-inflicted injuries are really the worst. I mean, that's – but you got to play through those things. Well, guys, let's jump right in. We've had um, kind of – you know, it's it's May. We're in the midst of the uh, NFL scandal season. I mean, off-season right now. Um, OTAs are going on. But the big NFL news this week until FIFA managed to – FIFA, soccer of all things – managed to knock pro football off the out of the sports headlines for a little bit today. We'll see how long that lasts. But it's I'll tell you what, from a from an NFL editor's perspective, it's been a nice little break that uh somebody else is is running down lawyers and trying to figure out um what the legal briefs and stuff like that mean. So uh but we did have our own little uh flare up recently here. Um the Ray McDonald situation. He was arrested again for domestic violence. Uh pretty Disturbing charge this time, uh, also in, which included child endangerment. And then it was promptly cut um, hours later at, by the Chicago Bears, who you kind of wonder about the decision to sign him in the first place. Well, I um, think it took us all a little bit by surprise, right? Uh, how so? I'm, I'm just saying, like, you, you don't have a crystal ball when you're a general manager in the National Football League. If you had a crystal ball, uh, then, of course, you wouldn't sign guys who are going to uh, you know, assault uh, women and children in the future. It's like when you when you sign up for stocks, they tell you right off the bat, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results. Um, you can't use a man's past to to paint his brush in the future. Well, now I'll say this though: you had uh, you had George McCaskey, the uh, he's the chairman of the team. He's the he's the son of the owner. Um, so I guess that makes him sort of sort of an owner, but. Uh, he they, when they signed Ray McDonald, there was some internal debate. I remember this. This was back in March, um, kind of in that second wave of free agency toward the end of the month there. But there was this. Uh, they'd had some internal debate about it. it. Was Ryan Pace the general manager's suggestion that they do it? McCaskey was against it at first, and then they came out and you know they they swayed him. Of course, they talked to. Um, they did their. This is how they defended the move. They did their background research, which included talking to Urban Meyer. Yes, he was. Uh, Ray McDonald was another member of that inf- those infamous Urban Meyer Florida teams. Wow. Um, there's a long form waiting to happen <laughs> right there down the road. But anyway, um, they, talked to, they talked to Urban Meyer. They talked to Ray McDonald's attorney. They talked to Ray McDonald's family. They talked to Vic Fangio. They talked to uh, Fangio, now the defensive coordinator in Chicago, with John Fox, the head coach there. Um, you know, they talked to the, a lot of people in McDonald's camp and felt assured about it. And McCaskey had that famous quote about, we didn't talk to the victim or the victim's attorneys or anybody like that because of quote unquote, the bias, you know, there's always a bias in there and that, as opposed to, you know, talking to Urban Meyer and the guy's family, you know, who probably don't have any sort of bias whatsoever. <laughs> um, do the bears, so there's been this interesting conversation in the media since then. And a lot of it's kind of based in hot takes. But does a team have a responsibility in in who they sign? And, and is there an accountability measure that needs to be in place in the league 
you know, for signing a guy with McDonald's track record. I'm going to start with Steven and Danny on this. I want to hear from you guys first on this. Um, I, I, I think they do have a responsibility in who they sign to their team. I think that in his particular situation, it's hard to have set some guidelines on guidance for whether they should or should not have signed him because Ray McDonald, to date, I don't think has been convicted of anything. Yeah. Um, so if you're at a point where a guy's only been accused, even if he's been accused several times, you kind of, you know, you got to kind of have it uniform guidelines for to, to guide you in a situation like this, or else it, it, you're kind of just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. And that's what infuriates everybody about Goodell, because it doesn't seem like he has any consistency when it comes to enforcing um, the, the, the conduct. Uh, penalties, but they kind of want the same thing in this situation. And so um, do I think the Bears should have signed them? No. And I said so at the time. I think that their better judgment should have won out. But I don't know that you can set up guidelines where Ray Mc- it would have precluded them from signing Ray McDonald or uh, indemnified them on the backside if something like this came up because he hasn't been convicted of anything yet. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and it's like the same kind of question came up in Seattle, obviously, with Frank Clark being drafted. And one of the questions that came out of that discussion was, should teams have a higher standard than the NFL, like, overall? Um, And, you know, there's no, I guess, real right answer to that. Um, Sort of the people in defense of the Seahawks here, I think, were saying, you know, like, this, the NFL should have a standard sort of kind of like what Steven was alluding to, like a, a uniform system for dealing with this kind of situation. So um, and the, the, one of the reasons the Seahawks kind of got themselves in trouble with, with drafting Frank Clark is they said, you know, explicitly beforehand that they will never sign a player with that has hit a woman. And then they've kind of, you know, depending on what who you believe, they, they haven't really followed that. There's a couple of guys on their team that, have domestic violence uh, arrests or incidents on their record or, or in the past. And so um, I think the, one of the major questions is kind of like their consistency with that stated goal. And so mm-hmm. um, a lot of people think that the NFL should, I guess, have a, like a more specific con- like policy in terms of that. And, and it should be in their hands and teams that shouldn't necessarily have to hold themselves to a higher standard to that, but it, it um, if the NFL decided, you know, to set up a much higher standard, I don't think anyone would really have a problem with that either. Now, PFT, this is something you wrote about a little bit yesterday. What, I, I mean, where do we stand on this? Do we so need I'm, something in place here? I'm a big Ayn Rand type of leader, or reader. I, I read um, I read excerpts and cliff notes of most of her books. Um, <laughs> the Fountainhead was, was a pretty good one, I thought. And this applies directly to NFL because – uh, until the free market starts to tell teams that they don't want people who are child and uh, and females abusers, then they're not going to drop any of those players. Um, so what the NFL needs to do since, you know, most people in America look up to Roger Goodell uh, as the person who kind of sets the tone for the morality of our nation. Um, <laughs> he needs to enact plans in place because teams won't do it on their own. So what he needs to do is he needs to, number one, 
say, okay, you, you're not allowed to have more than three guys on the field at any given time that have been arrested in the last year for domestic assault. Um, unless obviously it's like a goal line opportunity or it's like third and long or something, but they need to put those measures in place. And then they also need to show the other side of the coin right now. All we're doing is we're saying, Oh, you know, teams that draft domestic abusers that, you know, have them get arrested again, they're the bad guys. So we get to all point our fingers at them, but nobody's saying, Hey, what about the teams that, uh, sign free agents, uh, who are domestic abusers and they don't get arrested yet. Like Greg Hardy hasn't gotten arrested yet. He's he's stuck to assaulting his teammates during practice and hasn't done anything else. So why don't we just why don't we give an upside and say, hey, for every month that you sign a domestic abuser that he doesn't hit his wife, then uh, we'll go ahead and we'll give your team a compensatory pick in the next draft. Um, put some upside there. As a general manager, uh, you want those incentives to take these players and and correct them. Well, you definitely have a skin in the game in that in that respect of it. I, you know, I, I, I'm reading this stuff, though, I wonder, too, about, I mean, part of the problem is the NFL's personal conduct policy is so vague that it allows for this sort of reactionary. I mean, and you get the sense, everything since last summer when they handed out that two-game suspension to Ray Rice and, you know, people rightfully so just went, what the hell? Over all this stuff, everything's sort of been a reaction, and that's something we even talked about last week on the show with, you know, with in regards with Brady and the Deflategate stuff. But why, why don't we have NFL players wearing body cameras at all times? That way, we can see the we can see the issues. <laughs> it's kind of one sided. We ask our police officers to wear body cameras, uh, but we don't ask our NFL players to. Where's the equality? Well, and that gets into the. La- I mean, I think there's a labor issue here with this too. It's like, what do you? I mean. You know, if I came to you guys and said, hey, why wasn't your article on time? Let me see your cell phone records so that I could figure this out. I mean, it'd be, you know, that's not, I mean, that's sort of a non-starter. And I mean, I understand that it's a little different with the NFL because it's a public, you know, there's an entertainment aspect to it. And these are household names and, and, you know, the league makes money off your people being interested in the players on the field, not, you know, the business of football itself. So, you know, they have to have some standards that, but, you know, at the same time, it's just like, you know, you don't get suspended from the movies because you, you know, have a drug problem or whatever. I mean, it's, there's just that, I know there's a weird labor issue there with me. And I, and I wonder about that too. It's like, well, you can't just shut people out because they've been arrested in the past. I mean, sure. When it comes to ugly shit, like domestic violence, it's one thing, but when it comes to, okay, a 21 year old kid, that got a DUI because he's a dumb 21-year-old kid and it happens to a lot of 21-year-old <clears throat> kids, is his, you know, is his is he unemployable from that point on? And, and is that, where do teams, what do you do with teams in that respect? I mean, does it seem like the personal conduct policy is really the problem here? And how do you do, how do you fix that? Or can you fix that? Is it even, uh, at this point, can they change much of it, or is it all collectively bargained into the CBA? Well, I mean, that's kind of the argument the Players Association is trying to make, that, you know, they, the most recent change to the personal conduct policy violates the CBA because it was a change to something that was spelled out in the, in the 2011 CBA. Right, yeah, so it's uh, it's a murky situation in terms of how they can actually, I guess, change all that, but... In the meantime, you got Roger Goodell kind of just swinging his Thor hammer and, and hoping that it 
takes takes some of the the heat off of him, I guess. I have a question then for you guys. Uh, you know, since we're sort of in the in the theory realm of all this, does this hurt? I mean, does all this ongoing stuff hurt or help the league? I mean, whether it's Deflategate or Ray McDonald or or whatever. I mean, does it hurt the league or help the league in the long run? I think all press is good press. <laughs> That's my, my personal opinion. Anything that keeps the chatter going on Sports Talk Radio, anything that keeps me glued to Mike and Mike in the morning, that's good things for the NFL. Um, <laughs> well, he, he's right, though, because I think even after the Ray Rice stuff, people were kind of, you know, a lot of people were really legitimately souring on the NFL, I think, in terms of the, their attitude towards the league. But I want to say last year that there was better ratings than ever, and so it's not really like, you know, it's not like the league's getting less popular because yeah. of all that stuff. I, my mom threatened to take away my Sunday ticket, and uh, she... <laughs> What's funny is she she's the one who, you know, threatens to do this thing, but she's also not a football fan at all because I don't know, she's a moron or whatever. But she uh, she gets she gets mad because she hears about Ray Rice, but she's thinking about the NFL. So that tell that should tell you right there that it, the NFL is still king. Well, I kind of have a, a a different opinion on that. I think that eventually if if they don't get their shit together, this eventually will have an effect on the audience because just even in the tone on social media, for instance, mm-hmm. you, you see a lot of women, even women who cover the NFL, displaying more disgust in situations like this. Yeah. Especially when yeah. uh, this the Ray, Ray McDonald situation is something that a lot of people would say was foreseeable mm-hmm. because at the t- it's not like People have 2020 vision looking back now. At the time, a lot of these women complained about the, the signing, and the Bears were, to a certain extent, very cavalier about it. Yeah. We looked in deep into his eyes, and he told us, you know, what a great guy he was, and he impressed us. And so at some point, there's going to be a tipping point, and it's kind of like, to me, uh, the concussion discussion. Um, you know, you want to say that there hasn't really been that big of a, a, a backlash yet, but then you start having these, all of a sudden you're seeing these guys retire after a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it's only a few right now, but mm-hmm. it's more than we can recall before. Guys who actually were playing, guys yeah. who, you know, weren't on the bubble. And you're even seeing it in the college ranks. Guys giving up football because they got a concussion. Something that was kind of unheard of. It's still, you know, a small, it's, it's just a little pebble into the ocean right now. Mm-hmm. But I think there's going to gonna reach a tipping point with all this stuff where if it doesn't get addressed, at least you can see with the concussion stuff that they're at least doing PR moves to try to turn the sentiment around the concussion discussion. Yeah. Even, you know, instituting new rules. I now they're going to have to do something similar and I know they've, you know, they've kind of got that uh, board or whatever together uh, after the Ray Rice incident last year. And now I guess they're supposedly more informed, with air quotes, uh, about domestic violence. But then you look up and Mr. McCaskey, who made these comments about, you know, uh, the victim being biased and yeah. whether he had a, 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 a responsibility to his mother 
to to you know make sure that there's no domestic violence or, or guys who, who who you know commit domestic violence on the team, and he says it's some kind of reverse sexism, and this is the guy that's sitting on their board. Yeah. So oh, I, I do think that at some point, especially you know when it comes to women, when it comes to parents, whether or not they're going to let their kids play football because of concussions. I think at some point you get enough negative press, then P.T. Barnum, you know, edict goes right out the window. You know, you want to say all press is good press, but at some point you reach a critical mass where there's so many negative issues haunting this league that I do think you're going to see, whether it be viewership going down, whether it be participation at the lower levels going down, I do think you're going to start to see some blowback. Yeah. Okay, so what what you're saying, Steve, if I'm hearing you right, is that they're we're at a crisis point, or we're nearing the crisis point in football where people aren't going to watch football as much anymore. Uh, if if that's what we're talking about here, then in my opinion, Roger Goodell needs to be a strong leader, and I don't know what the ramifications are uh, in terms of the the CBA, but why could he, in theory, take the entire league and put the entire league on the commissioner exempt list? And say, okay, I'm only letting you back in if you sign an agreement saying that I can kick you out of the league if you domestically abuse somebody, or if, uh, or if you sign this waiver saying that concussions don't cause CTE. Would he be able to do that? I'm gonna guess that probably not. I'm sure he. Try, but I, I don't think he'll be very successful. I think his rights hold the right the TV rights holders might be a little upset about that, and then their NFL would really be in deep shit. Right, exactly. I'll, I'll have to get back to the drawing board and get. <laughs> well, and it does. You know, it, it it hits at another issue to me is 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 the reaction, and this is where the Goodell criticism comes in, and this is the reaction to all this stuff. It's not like, you know, the league. Or, you know, you've seen a problem and we're going to, you know, we're going to get serious about addressing it. It's it's the league sees this problem, but we want to address it in a way that we can still say fuck you to the union and move along in the sense of, you know, not basically do enough to not get sued over all this stuff. And whether it's concussions or domestic violence, it just seems like the reaction's just been sort of ham-fisted to it. And then they put on a really good, I mean, they hired some good people in that, in the, in the quote-unquote national domestic violence space. I mean, they hired good, smart people to, at the league level to kind of oversee this. And then you read and you talk to these people and you read about the details of the training, you hear about it from the players, and it's just sort of like, oh, well, they haven't really done anything other than just sort of take literally four people and tell them they have two months to go and give an hour seminar to, you know, 3,300 employees or whatever, 3,300 players, and then however many league and team employees you have on top of that. And then that hour seminar has to address domestic violence, child abuse, and sexual assault. Three pretty big issues that have, you know, some larger social societal ramifications to them. And it just, you, you, you peel back the curtain a little bit and it's just like the, all the suspension stuff with Goodell. It's just like, well, this is just sort of reacting. We don't really know what's going where. And it's like, you can, you know, the drug policy may look ridiculous in some respects or to some people, but at least it's sort of spelled out. You screw up this time, you get on step one. You screw up a second time, you're in step two. You screw up a third time, you're in step three, and it carries this level of punishment with it. 
But there's n you have nothing like that. You have a little bit more of that now, I guess, with the domestic violence policy because you have the minimum six-game suspension for the first incident. But it's sort of the, you know, you're still counting on the league to run its own justice program. Yeah. While so at the same time, you're keeping, this is a, a business that's doing this on behalf of its shareholders and profits as opposed to, you know, actually finding a solution that works to it. So on one hand, you've got, like you said, if you don't have any sort of personal conduct policy, can you imagine the chaos that would be going on? Have you ever, did you see the movie The Purge? I did not. <laughs> so it would, it would basically, Steve, did you see it? Yeah, yeah I, I caught that one, yeah. Yeah, so it would, it would be like just crime everywhere. Um, and so people are giving Roger Goodell crap because he had to institute laws um, to make up for the fact that that his players don't respect laws that aren't handed down from him. So what he should do, like you hinted at there, he should swing the pendulum the other way and uh, develop his own police force, develop NFL security into an investigative branch, um, build privatized uh, prisons in training camps if necessary. Uh, <laughs> he needs to go completely the other way or else if he pulls back, it's just chaos. We heard that or like a mandatory service. You have mandatory year with the Browns. Oh, there you go. There's an idea. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, we, we've got some good solutions and some salient points. I think we're probably not going to solve this today, but we, 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 we came to some, we hit on a few key, key things there. So if, if anyone else has anything to add, I think, you know, we could probably move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I let's go from something kind of serious to something absolutely fucking stupid, and that is Colin Kaepernick on social media. Oh, yeah. Um, was, as you, you probably saw this, uh, he posted the tweet um, something in anticipation of uh, the 49ers' upcoming game with the Houston Texans in several months. Um, something about <laughs> the seven floods or flooding the city on his Instagram feed. And uh, surprisingly enough, it was not well received. I think the seven is supposed to be an S. S, yeah. Ah. It's supposed to be like storm. <laughs> storm. <laughs> so I guess we're spelling with numbers now, huh? Is that yeah. what we're doing? Is that what yeah, we're teaching yeah. our children? I, and this is from... <laughs> I thought we already had that. Isn't that called algebra? <laughs> I mean, when PFT commenters taking you to task over your spelling, you really have screwed up somewhere. It's rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> I, if, I, if I'm an agent or a manager, I'm not letting any of my players within like a metric mile of a cell phone or an internet connection for the month of June and July when there's nothing <laughs> going on. Anything that you say is going to be news. Just stay. Just put put the internet down for a couple months. Go on a vacation. You should be in the film room anyways, so just, just stay in there, lock yourself in a room, and don't do anything scandalous because now is the time when, when guys like uh, Mike Florio are, are looking for storylines. I'm going to go ahead and agree with PFT on this one 100% and in seriousness. I wish <laughs> some of these uh, social media flubs have been so ridiculous. I, like how can a guy who's been in the league for that long you know, do something like that? Just tone deaf. I, I, it, yeah, I don't know why they all don't have some, you know, social media person running their account. I. It well, seems it, like a, here's a. Go ahead. Here's the thing, though, and and, and th this is why, like, I, I never really defend 
guys in situations like Kaepernick's. Um, but I can understand. Because, look, when you play football, even in the offseason, man, you kind of have tunnel vision, especially when it's time like when you're in OTAs and stuff like that. You probably watch ESPN most of the day and then maybe, you know, uh, some popular shows, but you're not watching the news or CNN or, you know, any kind of way where you're following the news of the day, so to speak. And so I can see perfectly, like, Kaepernick gets up, sees a couple images of Houston, doesn't really think it's anything big. He doesn't see anything about the people that have died. Doesn't see anything about people that have been swept away. And he's thinking, oh, I'm going to make this funny meme. (laughs) And so, you know, he makes the meme. I I think he also posted a picture of, like, you know, some of the... uh, Cars underwater. Cars, yeah, being flooded (laughs) or whatever. But, you know, we've been on Twitter the last several days seeing the images, knowing, you know, what's going on there. Knowing about people being stranded after the Rockets game, couldn't even get home. But for him, he probably just waking up and like, I'm gonna be funny, you know? Ha yeah. ha ha! It rained, <laughs> it rained there uh, a little bit, and now you look like a dumbass because you're you're not following the news. And so that's really the problem is a lot of these guys, man. Even some of the guys who you know you probably think are, are you know the more intelligent guys, the guys that read and stuff like that, but. Even those guys, man, probably aren't following the news like that. They ju- you just don't do it. And so, you know, they, they come out and say things that are very uninformed and make them look very stupid, which is the pitfalls of having social media in the first place. Mm-hmm. I've said plenty of times, I'm so thankful that we, that we did not have this kind of stuff back when I was playing because knowing me, I would have tried to use it, and I probably would have at some point <laughs> made an ass out of myself, too. It's just how it goes. You know, your time is coming sooner <laughs> if you're on social media. It's just a matter of are you just a regular person doing it, and maybe a couple people see it, or are you a high-profile athlete and the whole world see something very stupid <laughs> that you really wish you'd never done before, and, and you know, and, and you got to just sit there and take it. I think you know, people would have talked a little too much trash about George W. Bush if he – had social media back then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, a good rule of thumb is I, and I'm, this probably didn't apply to Kate, but I mean, I just, this is a personal rule of thumb I follow. If, if you've had more than one beer, put the phone down. Uh, 100% disagree. You start thinking it's fun. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. So drunk or what have you, that's when you start being, man, let me get on social media. <laughs> yeah. I'm so funny, and I want everybody yeah. to know how funny I am. Yep. <laughs> and I actually read a study that said that you're at your most creative when you have a .08 blood alcohol content. This is a real study. Mind you. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you can necessarily execute on your creativity. But once you hit that point oh eight, that's the, that's the God zone where you think you can do anything. And um, it's actually really great for your brain, which is why I try to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just talking about the personal discipline aspect, I mean, can you imagine if the NFL decided to start legislating players' social media accounts, what a nightmare it would be. Oh, man. They're going to have to start a whole new, like, department for that. You know, and as stupid as this was, it's like there is at least sort of a system of checks and balances on it. It's like, I'm sure, you know, you tweet something like that out or post it on Instagram or whatever. You're gonna, the Internet's going to let you know all about it. 
People have really, really quick triggers on screenshotting everything, too. So. Oh, man, so fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no such thing as delete. So. Oh, no. So. <laughs> now, if you post it on social media, it's never gone, no matter how you no. delete it or try I, I give them credit because as somebody else said, you know, he didn't use the, the old tried and true, I was hacked excuse. <laughs> you know, he, really, he, he at least owned up to it right away. So I think that was a plus for him. But yeah, you, you're never gonna, you know, you, you can't grab that back <laughs> off the internet quick enough before somebody has already <laughs> screenshotted. I oh, swear yeah. to God, it seems like there's some people this they screenshot every tweet that comes across Twitter just in case. They have a, like a script set up to screenshot everything and send it straight to Deadspin. Right. <laughs> or rookies. TMZ. You know. Yeah, at the rookie symposium, they should get Russell Wilson to teach a class on social media. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Hanging out with my entourage, bros. State Farm. <laughs> and, you know, and that's the thing. It's like I'd much rather, it's like I'd rather, as a fan, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather players make mistakes like that and own up to it than have just that sort of completely scrubbed, you know, brand account. Like, it's like Steven Jackson, one of my favorite players ever, and just, like, you know, a terrible follow on Twitter because it's always just, like, it's like, here's a really interesting dude, but it's all sort of, like, here, it's, you know, this extension of my, you know, the businesses that I've got going and stuff. So it's just, like, or the sponsors. Or, like, Russell Wilson, man. Russell Wilson is a great quarterback. Terrible (laughs) social media. One of the worst. One of the worst. But he's never gonna get in trouble, you know. Not exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he's never gonna have to give one of those apologies. Well, so, and that's the so kind of game you have to play too. When you know, when you're getting endorsements at that level, you kind of have to play that. That's that's sort of the the trade off you make, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, not gonna mess his money up. Exactly. So I mean, that's why you know, PFT. At some point, we're gonna get you Mad Dog sponsorship. <laughs> I've tried and I have failed so many times. I've I've emailed the people at Mad Dog. I've tweeted at them. I've done everything that I can, and they just they won't get back in touch with me. I've probably given them a couple, you know, ten thousand dollars worth of free advertising. At least, at least. I'm I'm doing so much for the brand. When I was in when I was in Chicago, not to brag, but I was in the back seat of the NFL draft, the back row of press box, and I was I was pounding a Mad Dog back there, and <laughs> two guys came up behind me, you one and Peter King, and <laughs> said, "Hey, hey." how's your pad level doing today? And I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I played it cool. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I just, you know, was nice and calm and relaxed and drank some more mad dog and, and went back to tweeting. And then he just kind of stayed there and I was like, okay, he knows who I am. And then him and his buddy that he was wearing a, a camouflage Jordy Nelson Jersey. So this guy had serious, serious grit. Brought his- <laughs> he had a mad dog on him that he also snuck into the draft. And he was like, I, I brought this Mad Dog here because I wanted to chug it with you. And so we passed around the Mad Dog. Um, so once again, that's uh, that's another four ninety five that went straight into Mad Dog's pockets that I should be getting at least a 10% cut off right there. Um, the, the brand, they owe, me, they owe me at least free product, if not a monetary sponsorship. So if you're listening, Mad Dog, get in touch with my people. Well, and if not, I mean, you know, maybe it's time to be a Thunderbird man. That's right. I'm not, I'm not above Night Train. <laughs> All aboard. 
for Night Train. <laughs> hey, speaking of that, let's, I don't know, I don't have a good segue for this, but uh, it's just sort of a, but let's jump over to Hard Knocks. The Hard Knocks, the Houston Texans are going to be on Hard Knocks. So get ready for J.J. Watt, America, in case you have never heard of him. Are you guys excited about the Texans on Hard Knocks? Do you think that was a good pick? I'm ecstatic about the pick, actually, uh, for a couple of reasons. But uh, one, uh, we've heard so much about Bill O'Brien and his ability mm. to, uh, you know, run practice and, and be an uh, outstanding uh, uh, coach, head coach. And, you know, for years, we they've talked about how, you know, he, he was basically almost born to do this. And so now we got to get to kind of look behind uh, the, the curtains and see just, you know, what impression we get out of seeing him on the field. And, and then you got some other nice little subplots, which who's going to emerge as uh, the top quarterback? Uh, would Jadavion Clowney be healthy during training camp? Uh, my personal, one of my personal favorites, uh, uh, Jalen Strong, they, they mm. just him in third round, get to see what he looks like. Vince Wilford, you know, what kind of impact he's going to have on that team. And so I think it's a very good selection for a lot of reasons. I don't know how it'll affect them as a team, but I think from a fan's perspective, there's a lot of things to like about the fact that the Texans are going to be featured on Hard Knocks. Yeah. It's got to be better than the Falcons were last year. That was not – I think that was one of the weaker seasons of the show. I think that Arian Foster is a really interesting guy, too. I, I'm excited to see him on the show. And um, obviously, you know, having the best football player in the NFL probably at this point, J.J. Watt. And uh, that's got to be a good thing. He's like the biggest meathead, too. He's just unashamed of everything. And um, I think that'll be really fun. <laughs> I, I'm going to be watching with Hawkeyes trying to put together the pieces and see if there are any more clues as to J.J. Watt's allegiance to the National Socialism Movement. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I think it's also maybe a bad choice for HBO. Uh, you're going to get a lot of people who are channel surfing and they see Ryan Mallett show up on the TV. <laughs> and they're they're going to think that they're watching cops and they'll change the channel real quick. That guy looks <laughs> he looks like everyone who's ever been pulled over in the state of Florida of all time. <laughs> they're not going to find much of an audience for me when it comes to Mallett. But, uh, yeah, watching watching Clowney, you know, do his, his – you know, whatever the next injury for that guy is going to be, that's going to be must-see TV. <laughs> it should be good. I, You know, I was worried there for a minute because Gil Brandt, I think last Friday, last Thursday or Friday, said that it was probably going to be Washington that got picked. I was like, Ooh. oh, man. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard knocks presented by Subway. <laughs> RG3 and dance the RG3 and dance night or buddy comedy hour. I think you just, you know, I might have to write up some scripts for hard knocks before it debuts an alternate hard knocks. PFA. Yeah. The alternate hard. Knocks. I still think they should do hard knocks on the league office and, have, and follow Goodell around for a while. I think that'd be just entertaining and wild. <laughs> show that they could show the pizza meeting where nobody gets pizza until Rogers have pizza. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> they could follow him home to his his single family dwelling in Westchester County. Mm-hmm. Just just a regular Joe, just a regular Joe, son of a senator. Yeah, if the NFL were smart. They they would get behind that. I mean, look at you know, granted, yeah, right now things aren't going so well for the nineteen kids and counting people, but it got them so much money and it, it did wonders for their brand. 
Um, the same thing could happen with the NFL. It could just really take off. <laughs> Might be the big break the league's looking for. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, a behind-the-scenes, a hard knocks type thing of the of all the proceedings uh, involved going on right now about the Los Angeles and the stadium drama and the relocation would be fascinating. Obviously, that's not going to happen for a lot of reasons and probably would turn off more fans than it would bring in, but... I would be really, and I mean, obviously I have a bias in that, but I would be pretty interested to see how all that the conversation's going on behind the scenes in the in league circles right now. But, see uh, how he's earning his 20-something million this year. Yeah. Let's see what, how they're going to placate Dean Spanos at all this. But, uh, and bonus Martin, lots of Mark Davis. I mean, you can't beat Mark, good Mark Davis. Quality God, Mark Davis. They need to make him the host. <laughs> All right, we've got some. We've got actual football going on, and by actual football, I mean OTAs. And I hear, I think, I think this was probably the most overlooked story yesterday um, in the NFL world. Dolphins OTAs. Um, you know, OTAs for the uninitiated folks out there. OTAs are kind of the spring practices for NFL teams. They're not making contact. They're not wearing full pads. They're just out there in shorts and shells. Um, it's, you know, just sort of going through the playbook, that kind of thing, some seven on seven drills, stuff like that. But, uh, I, I know I was surprised to hear this, but Indami Kansu is looking good in OTAs in the early goings. And I thought that was a really <laughs> shocking thing that one of the greatest defensive tackles to ever play the game was doing well in practicing in his shorts. That's big news right there. Steve, what do, uh, what do defensive linemen do during OTAs? Uh, mostly play patty cake. <laughs> uh, really and truly, uh, OTAs these days are, are more about getting in shape and showing that you're in shape and showing that you can memorize the defense. Because I'd imagine a lot of teams put in, like, a lot of blitz packages and stuff during OTAs. And the reason being is because you literally, you know, aren't supposed to make contact any more than just maybe, you know, coming off and engaging and then uh, taking out towards the ball. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the guys up front can, you know, be making real pass rush moves and the offensive lineman in turn can't really uh, be trying to pancake guys either. So it's just a lot of pancake going on. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you look quick. You know, it's, it's more like basketball than football right now uh, for the big guys. So, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds good. <laughs> you know, it always sounds, well, this guy's looking great. Um, man, last year uh, with the Bucks, uh, there, there were guys who looked great, air quotes, in OTAs that didn't even make it, make it out of training camp. So, uh, you know, it, it, you take all of that stuff with a grain of salt when you hear about a big guy looking good in, in OTAs. You only yeah. have... The only thing I care about during OTAs, honestly, I was tweeting this yesterday, is that no one gets hurt. Like, if you get a, right. if you have a practice where no one gets hurt, like that's the best news you could possibly get today. Right. Do you get any guys that are like the the workout warriors who take the opportunity to go in, in just shorts and they go way harder than anybody super else? Super hard. Super hard. Yes. <laughs> yes. The. Uh... <laughs> The all shorts, all Americans, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's you know that's why you have to take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt because look, anybody can run a hundred miles an hour when they know they're not going to get hit. 
and a lot of guys do, you know, whether they playing linebacker, fullback, or, you know, defensive tackle, guard, you know, they're, oh, 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 a lot, <laughs> lot of loud noises and, and effort, you, you know, looks great in shorts. I promise you it looks awesome. But it, 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 things tend to change when you put those helmets and shoulder pads on and you actually got to go hit somebody. So you know, now the small guys, a lot of stuff that they do is going to translate even with pass on. Uh, you're talking about your wide receivers and even your running back some, you know, in a passing game or what have you, and, and linebackers in coverage and, and so on and so forth. But when you're talking about guys up front, man, it just, you know, it, it's pretty much just laughable to even care uh, about reports about how a guy's looking if they play up front. Hey, speaking of wide receivers, though, Stephen, you mentioned something about that in the email thread before this call that it is there is something there you kind of look for with those guys. Can, can you explain that? Well, absolutely, especially in this day and age uh, of the NFL where they don't allow a lot of contact anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't see a whole bunch of teams with their corners up and bump and run these days anymore. Even some of the teams with, with the best corners going. Uh, are not going to play bump and run for the majority of the game anymore. It just, you know, it, it, those uh, uh, illegal contact comes in and stuff, they, they're just too 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 big of a penalty to bear when you're giving a, a team a first down. So uh, you're going to see those guys be able to operate in space in OTAs pretty similarly to how they'll be able to operate in space uh, when the pass get on. And so you mm-hmm. want to take note of, if a guy can get open or if he can't, if he'll be able to go up and make contested catches or if he's not tracking the ball well. So you, you can actually glean something from, from that situation, and, you know, from the defensive perspective, from a cornerback. How does his hips look? Uh, is he able to, to keep up? Is he breaking on the ball well? Those kind of things, those are going to transfer whether he's in pass or not. And so, you know, you never know what's going to happen at the end of the play, whether the defensive back is going to make the tackle or the wide receiver is going to step out of the tackle, but you can at least see kind of what's going to happen leading up to that point. Yeah. I would have one rule if I was a coach at my OTAs. I'd say I draw a line right before the practice field. I say nobody's crossing this line until you throw up. So the entire team has to throw up from working so hard <laughs> for the practice over. <laughs> I wouldn't have a time practice. I I would I'd take my stopwatch off my neck and I throw it in the trash. I'd say, all right, guys, uh, the amount of time that you guys spend practicing is up to you today. Now go, now go puke your guts out for me and show me that you're going to work hard. Some wind sprints, some good old wind sprints. Actually, did you see that in that, we had that piece on Levante David last week and it was at the beginning, it, it opened with an anecdote about him when he went to Fort Scott junior college they had their conditioning test on the first day. Now here's this guy that's one of the greatest linebackers playing in the NFL right now. Flunked his conditioning test his first day of junior college. Was literally throwing up because they just run until the coaches get tired of watching him run. <laughs> so that does happen. I mean, I now I'm yeah, sure the yeah. NFL, it, in the NFL world, it's probably a little different. But you know, it's it's still out there. It still exists for uh, for spring practices. But uh, is there anything else that have stood out for you guys from OTAs? I mean, other than I mean, some of the injuries are always a little disturbing because you get the Fowler thing, which we talked about last week, or like the Will Beatty, you know, losing Will Beatty, which was you know in the weight room, not on not for OTAs for the Giants. Obviously, has a big impact on the season. But 
beyond that stuff, is there anything that sticks out to you? Are you worried when guys don't show up for OTAs? Yeah, um, it's like yeah, <laughs> not at all. Uh, you know, most of those guys know how to train now, and, and like I said, because of the way the OTAs are set up nowadays, you're not missing out on all that much anyway. Maybe you're missing out on your playbook stuff more so than the physical stuff anyway. Most of the physical stuff, you, you, you can find somewhere to do that stuff, work on your pass rush, work, work on your hands if you're a wide receiver or, and so on and so forth. Um, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, is this, is this a guy that's a veteran that you feel like understands how to take care of his body? Or is this a younger guy that maybe you might be worried that, He's off doing his own thing, but he's not really sure what that entails. Yeah. But I think for most of the guys that we see missing now are, are the guys that you would expect kind of know how to take care of their business and they'll still be ready for training camp. Yeah. Now, PFT, what your thoughts on the guys that are missing OTAs right now? Well, I'm just saying it's like it's like we always say the drug test is an idiot test to see who, who doesn't show up or who doesn't uh, – if you show up with weed in your system – then it means you're an idiot. Well, if you if you don't show up for OTAs when all you're doing is walking around and playing hopscotch with your balls in your hand or whatever it is you're doing, out there, then that's you're an idiot for not doing that. Why would you miss that? Well, I don't see what the downside is here. You know, uh, what's Adrian Peterson doing? What's he up to? Uh, he's not up in Minnesota, and and Mike Zimmer's rightfully reading the riot act, and it's because if if you're trying to build a football team. Um, how's Adrian, Adrian Peterson might not even be a good football player anymore. You know, he's missed so many OTAs. Uh, he might've forgotten what to do. <laughs> so also, now, do the team, should the teams be held responsible for players that don't show up? No, that's We're talking about individual responsibility here. We're not, we're not going to punish teams for having a bunch of, uh, guys who just can't be bothered to get on an airplane and fly two hours to training camp or whatever it is. But one thing I want to talk about that I was really impressed with was James Winston taking his playbook with him to the Drake concert. Did you guys see that? Yes. Yeah. It shows you, I think he's really turned the corner now. I think uh, the fact that he had his friend take a picture of him while he was studying at the Drake concert tells me that he's no longer a threat to others. Probably a good indication about the entertainment value of a Drake concert, even maybe. <laughs> That's fair, but at the same time, how much how much is he really absorbing there at a Drake concert? It's like if, if Bill Walton had his buddy take a picture of him studying the playbook at a at Rolling Stone or at a Grateful Dead concert back in the seventies. <laughs> you know, yeah, it looks good on paper, but how much are you really absorbing there? Um, just something to keep in mind. It's kind of one of those personal brand tweets more than anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, I have a question. We've got some uh, quarterback battles. We've touched on these a little bit before in the past, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Oh, here's an interesting statistic. There are no open quarterback competitions in the NFC at all right now. They're wow, all really? in the AFC. I mean, now that's <laughs> not to say they're all set in stone or that, you know, that they're, the week one starter will be the same as the week five starter, but. You know, um, the AFC is where you have all those open quarterback competitions, except maybe the most surprising of all for the New York Jets. They went ahead already, even before OTA started, and made Geno Smith the starter. Was that a good idea? Maybe they're trying to pump up his confidence a little bit and make him feel like the man. So, about that. (laughs) (laughs) 
the head coach uh, kind of came back and sort of kind of walked that back today. Uh. Um, Chan Gailey, the offense coordinator, is a guy who basically said last week that, you know, he's the starter. Uh, basically, if he's not the starter, something went terribly wrong, uh, and, and that's how we're going to approach this. Um, but today the head coach came out and said that Geno's the starter now. You know, he's going to get the first reps in camp, and it's up to the other guys to to catch him and beat him. But he still used the word. He said it's still going to be an open competition come training camp. So, you know, take that for what you will. To me, it still sounds like he's a starter uh, because if it's an open competition, then everybody kind of rotates in and gets some first-team reps. To me, when you have a true open competition, and that doesn't sound like what they're going to do. But it, it was interesting that it was the offense coordinator that came out and said it before anybody else. Yeah. Are we sure that Sam Bradford's the starting quarterback of the Eagles? <laughs> well, I think that's all it depends on his ACL. Because it's Sam, it's, it's Sanchez, and it's Tebow. So it's like the 2010 or 2009 NCAA All-Star team competing against each other. And I think that if, if I'm Chip Kelly right now, I'm not giving anything away. I'm, I'm playing everything close to the vest. He might even have two starting quarterbacks. Uh, he might have Tim Tebow start on all two-point conversions and then have Sanchez and Bradford split time. What if you had, like, a single wing going on and you had Bradford, <laughs> Sanchez, and Tebow at the same time? Uh, that'd be, I'd be worried about, like, the fullback or something running into Bradford, and then that's it. I think when you have three quarterbacks that talented, you want to get them all on the field at the same time and utilize their strengths. Like, you could have Sam Bradford – uh, a play where Sam Bradford tears his ACL as he tosses it to Sanchez, who throws an interception, and then Tebow sprints really, really hard and tackles the guy that made the interception at the one yard line, barely preventing a touchdown. And that would actually—that's probably—that's a designed play from Chip Kelly's playbook. That's what I'm saying. So I don't know. Um, anytime, anytime that you have those three talents on your team, I think you want to make the most of it. <laughs> Excellent point. Excellent point. There. <laughs> That's Everyone right. else is speechless. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of film this offseason. I don't know what you guys have been up to, but <laughs> I've been grinding a lot of tape, and the, the eye in the sky don't lie. That's true. Yeah, have you, Who do you think grinds more tape, you or Pete Prisco? I don't think – I think Prisco grinds tape for 25 hours a day. I can't, I can't compete with that guy. I can do more push-ups on him. This is confirmed by Pete himself. Pete, if you're listening, you confirm that to me. Um, here's a fun story about Pete. Do we have a second for me? To yeah, tell absolutely. Okay. So I go up to him on radio row and introduce myself. I'm like, Pete, let's do this. Let's have a push up contest, me and you. And, uh, he tries to say, oh, no, I don't want to. And then, uh, some of the other guys from CBS sports are there and they're like, do it, Pete, do it, Pete. I was like, Pete, don't be a wuss. I'm going to chug this mad dog again. Hey, mad dog. This is PFT commentary giving you another free plug. Anyways, I had a mad dog and I was like, I'm going to chug this thing. And then we're going to push up contest me and you. He's like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. And Pete was like, how many push-ups can you do? I was like, well, I think I could probably do 50 or 75 right now, depending on how much of this bottle I drank. And so he, he said, no, he wouldn't do it. And then so right after the Super Bowl was over, this is right after that, uh, that four, or the, the um, uh, Pete Carroll two-yard whopper of a boner of a play call that he that made. 
Pete walks in, Pete Carroll walks into the locker room and he sits down at the little interview place and I'm front and center with my microphone about to get his take and his explanation on, on the most boneheaded play call in Super Bowl history. And at that very time that Carroll opens his mouth, Pete Prisco sidles up right beside me, elbows me and says, hey, just want to let you know, I did 50 push-ups this morning in the hotel room. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Pete. Well, I, I'll challenge you again anytime you want, but right now I'm on the clock, and I checked in. I'm, I'm punching the clock here, brought my lunch pail, and trying to do my job, and Pete was preventing me from doing my job. I think he's more – He seems he's usually more inclined to brag about his squat numbers than anything else. That's right. I think he could – He's outs- a leg day guy. Yeah. He's got he's got some pad level on him. He's he's kind of chode shaped. He's pretty wide. <laughs> Did you say chode shaped? Yeah, chode shaped. He's <laughs> short and so- <laughs> What was the thing going back with what was the thing with the like the two and a half pound weights? Oh, I was asking him how much he could bench because I wanted to see if I could bench press more than him. And he told me I forget what the number was. It was something like two hundred and eighty pounds. Um, and so I sat there for a second, I did the math and I was like, Pete, there's no way that that could be your max unless you put, uh, two plates, two 25 pound weights on, and then you went and added the two and a half pound weights at the very end, just to get you all the way up to 280 pounds. Any normal human being would say something like 275, 295, etc. Um, but he said 280. So I think he was either lying about it. <laughs> Or he walks all over the gym like like a zombie looking for these two-and-a-half-pound weights to put on there just so that he can get that extra five pounds. <laughs> this is a little gym culture for you there, too. I, all right, here's – all right, bonus. Let's do some bonus content here because it's the offseason. I think we can, we can slide by with this and get away with it. Weirdest – Weight room or gym, you know, if the weight room's not your thing, gym or weight room story. Weirdest gym or weight room story you've ever you've ever encountered. I had a guy that asked me to like to spot him randomly, you know, just one of those random dudes that asks for spots. Uh-huh. And he was telling me <clears throat> to give him five pounds of pressure, like help. <laughs> and I was like, What the hell? <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I, I sorry, I haven't calibrated. Like push down? No, like help him with five pounds up. Like if he starts, if he starts like not or struggling, like give him five pounds. And you're supposed to magically know what that means. I'm supposed to be calibrated to spot for five pounds, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I, give him five pounds when it's when the bar's about an inch from his neck. <laughs> Seems like a pretty cool guy. Oh yeah, he definitely looked like one. <laughs> My weirdest gym thing was when I was in high school. I, I worked at a gym, and I go into the locker room, and you always—it was like a really expensive gym to be a member of, um, which is why I worked there, so I could get a free membership and you go check out all the babes on the stair climber or whatever. So I went into the locker room, and it was all these old guys. And there's this one—one one thing that you'll realize about old guys in a gym is they are the most naked people that you've ever seen. In your oh life. yeah. They just do not give a shit. So this guy had his had one leg up on the counter, and he had the blow dryer, and he it's was a just, power move. It was a, such a power move. I was almost impressed when I looked at it. But <laughs> yeah, that was about seventy five years old with his leg up on the counter with the blow dryer going directly at his butt and balls. 
just in front of God and everybody else. Oh, you know? And I probably should have said something to him as an employee of the gym. Because <laughs> not supposed to do that. But if you think that my five dollar twenty five cent an hour ass was going to go out on a limb against that guy, then you're absolutely kidding yourself. So I just kind of I said, okay, this guy is he's on his own level. I'm just going to walk out of this room and pretend I never saw it. <laughs> But it haunts my face. I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> you just shut it down. <laughs> I, ain't got, I ain't got enough for that. <laughs> no, nobody's going to top that. <laughs> oh. oh, shit. All right, so, it's, it's a true story, and I, I said I would try to forget it, but you don't forget that. <laughs> Burned into your memory. Oh man! All right, now this I, this is probably this is a weird transition, but one uh, one more one more newsy newsy thing to hit before we wrap it up for the day here. You saw the Alouettes, the Montreal Alouettes signed Michael Sam. He's going to go play in Canada. Going to go play in Canada this year. I mean, thinking back through all the Facebook comments of how is this news, but um. It's uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting move, and I'm glad for him because he gets to go on and he's continuing his football career. He'll get to play football. And I guess the the most obvious question for us, he's also the he'll be the first openly gay player um, in the C- in CFL history too. So that he's breaking down a barrier up, up north of the border as well. But uh, does this? Do you think he'll ever swing back into the NFL? Um. It's hard to say. It, it all kind of depends on how he plays there, mm-hmm. uh, but 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 it, it depends on more than that too. Yeah, in my opinion, uh, I, I I don't have any questions about him going up there and playing well because you know uh, the CFL is all about throwing the ball, and he's a fantastic pass rusher. Yeah, throw all the numbers out. That dude knows how to turn the corner. And so he's going to put up numbers. I, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to do that. But but I think that, you know, the, the, the NFL can kind of now be content with saying, well, well, he can do that in the CFL, but he can't do it here. But, you know, good for him. And so in, in some ways, um, you hope that he could play well enough to play, play himself back into a position uh, to sign with the NFL. And we've seen some CFL guys. Get signed to the NFL uh, recently. I know the the Patriots have done it uh, a couple of times. Yeah. Um. And 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 Cameron Wake is a fantastic story about a guy who was kind of overlooked by the NFL and went up there and, and played uh, fantastic in the CFL and, and is now playing fantastic in the, in the NFL again for the Dolphins. But I think he 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 had the the luxury of being a workout guy. You know uh, that that was never his problem. Uh, when he was coming out anyway, uh, Cameron Wake was a guy who could, you know, run fast and jump high and do all those things. Uh, there was just other concerns with him. So yeah. uh, uh, with with, with uh, Michael Sam, I don't think he'll ever be that guy that's going to put up eye-popping numbers, the workout numbers. And so you'll always be able to get away with saying, well, no, he's not good enough for us, but, you know, good for him that he's playing well in, well in the CFL. Either way, I'm just glad that he's moving. Excuse me, moving on now, and we'll be able to continue playing football because I do think that he he's a good football player. Yeah, definitely. And that was good news to hear. And I'm glad you know I'm glad he gets to go and play. And and now I think we'll see if you know 
if other openly gay players come along and will the, you know, will the NFL be better, you know, more open to, to signing them and letting them play? I mean, will the talent, I mean, with Sam, I guess has always been, you know, he's kind of on the bubble when it comes to talent. So you can always, you know, make the case. Although I was a little surprised he didn't stick around on a practice squad last season, but. If there are more gay players in the NFL, I kind of hope that they're all like quarterbacks on the, on different teams in the same division. So you get that natural rivalry going there, just for the storyline of it all. <laughs> the other thing I would like to see is up in Canada. I I'm, I, I just want to say for the record, I don't care about Michael Sam. Um, I've got my Google alert that gives me all the information that I need to know whenever he's in the news. So I don't really need to talk about him that much to you guys. I don't have much to say, but I do want to say something about Michael Sam. And that's that if he's up in the Canadian Football League, I hope that ESPN continues their coverage of his shower habits and whether or not his teammates shower with him. Um, <laughs> not that I care. <laughs> not that it's news. Right. As the Facebook commenters would, would all point out to us. Well, guys, um, is there anything else? I'm, I'm going to take one more check because it seems like every time we hang up from recording this thing, some big-ass NFL news story break. So I'm going to take one look here. And it looks like our NFL blogger in West, famous West Virginian is not reporting anything new. So I think we're okay to wrap <laughs> it up here. All right. It's been a good show, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I think listeners are in for a real treat with this. And um, hopefully we all learn something about proper gym etiquette in the process. Yeah. <laughs> Blow dryer is not for your balls, people. <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> all right, fellas. Uh, I appreciate your time once again. And uh, we'll reconvene and do this again next week and talk about some more OTAs.